0: Welcome to the Community Hope Podcast. We exist to share hope with more people in more places. For more information on this podcast or our church, please visit communityhope.org. Now stay tuned for our Sermon of the Week. So as we jump into our message today, I'm going to show you a picture, and I'm going to see how many of you recognize this picture. Go ahead and pull up that picture for me. Will you? There it is. How many of you know what this is? All right. Let's just see how deeply your passion runs for this. How many of you know what you see here? I tell you what you see here. You see two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame seed bun. I felt the anointing all over that. That is a big mac, my friends. One of the greatest sandwiches ever created in the history of mankind. And, uh, and so I have a passion for mcdonald's it goes back to my the earliest days in fact i had my eighth birthday party at mcdonald's now at 43 years old i look back on the eighth birthday party and now my 43 year old self go that was lame but my eight-year-old self did not think that my eight-year-old said this is awesome because I'm having a birthday party at McDonald's. Because see, as I look back now as a 43-year-old, I realize those McDonald's employees who were being paid minimum wage did not have that much creativity when it came to games. One of the games we played was they would put a styrofoam uh, McDonald's coffee cup down in front of you, and you would take the McDonald's coffee stirrers. Do you remember the old school ones? Had the arches on the top, look like a boat, looked like a, a row from an, a boat. I remember them. Anyways, you would hold them at your nose and see how many of these you could drop into the coffee cup. Whoever did got the most, won whoopee, but then we had another game, see this was, this is when I was eight years old, we had another game where we played with these, you guys remember these, this is back when we made things out of styrofoam, we didn't give a rip about the environment, okay, we took empty Big Mac containers and we saw how high could we stack a tower of empty Big Mac containers before they came tumbling down, whoever got the most got a free coupon for a free Big Mac, yes my friends, a free Big Mac. See, I was in love with with McDonald's because McDonald's introduced a concept that the world had never seen prior to McDonald's. It was something known as a franchise. And see, what McDonald's has made billions and billions and billions of dollars upon is that you can go to any McDonald's in the world and you know what you'll get when you order a Big Mac. Two all-beef patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. It's standardization. We make them the same every time. We make them exactly the same so you know every McDonald's you walk into, you're going to get exactly the same. You don't like pickles? Get over it. Pick them off. You don't want special stuff? Tough. That's how we make it here at McDonald's. See, that's what they made their billions of dollars on. But that was until 1974. Burger King came along and changed it all. They had a slogan as well. They said, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. They said, you can have it your way. You don't like pickles? Tell them to take us off, and we'll take them off. You want double, you want double pickles? We'll double the pickles. You want extra capture? You tell us whatever we want, because we want it to, you to have it your way. In fact, this wasn't even enough. In the 90s, they added to it. Have it your way right away. You walk into Burger King, and now you are the king, thank you very much. You tell them how you want the sandwich made, and they will make it that way. But see, the problem with this mentality is this mentality has, has so consumed us as a culture that now we don't just expect to be that, treated that way at Burger King. We expect to be treated that way everywhere. I'm the consumer, so I want to have it my way right away. Now, here's where it gets a little serious because, unfortunately, this has crept into the church. It's crept into the church where the church is where I have it my way right away. Now, see, I'm a church kid. I've been around the church my entire life. I've seen an enormous amount of good from the church, but I've also seen some things that aren't so good in the church. Here's something I've heard many, many, many times from people. Now, before I say this, I have to tell you I've never once heard this here at Community Hope. I'm grateful for it. And it's people like this. Well, bless God, pastor, I'm a tithe-paying member of this church. You're going to do what I want. I've heard people say that. Granted, I've never heard it here, and I'm grateful that it's never happened. Because you know what that reflects? A consumer mentality. That it's all about me and what I want. And unfortunately, this has happened in America. We have become spiritual consumers. We We have said it's all about me and what I want. And we have made church so incredibly comfortable that sometimes when I read the Gospels, I wonder what has happened. Now, I also want to be very careful in how I address this today because I, this is what I recognize. Every one of you who are seeing this chair, who is walking, watching online, you're going to fit in one of three categories when it comes to your relationship with the church. Okay, If you are a guest with us today, you get a free pass. Because I expect you to be a consumer. I expect you to drive in on a paved parking lot and have the door opened up for you and be offered a, offered a nice hot cup of coffee, a cookie, and be escorted down where your children will be, will be ministered to while you come and sit on a padded seat and hear the most amazing preaching you've ever heard in your life. Now, that's not bragging. That's faith, okay? is what I'm saying right there. No, when you're a guest... This is what we expect. Okay, so if you're a guest with us today, you're off the hook, okay? No guilt, no shame, no blame. You're a guest. This is what we expect from guests. Now, what we've asked, though, is I said what our agenda is, though, is is that we don't want you to stay here. We don't. We want to invite you into friendship. And then ultimately, we want to invite you into becoming family. Now, I know this is going to happen someday. I'm not looking forward to it. But I know someday some young man is going to come to me and tell me that he's fallen madly in love with one of my daughters. And he wants to become part of our family. Okay, and he better come ask for permission or I'm going to beat the tar out of him. No, no, I'm not. I won't. I have thought about it a lot, though. I think I'm going to take him out to my gym. Throw three or four plates on the the, and just sit down and rep out some and then get up and say, come over here, let's talk. You do realize I can crush you, right? No, any potential guy out there is like, I ain't leaving those girls alone. No, see, I realize that someday there's going to be a young man who's going to want to become a part of our family. And I'm going to have to tell him what it looks like to be a part of our family. And here's, so here's the great thing. If you're a guest, as you're a friend, you get to sit back and watch and say, oh, that's what they mean when it looks like to be family there at Community Hope. That's what we want to talk about today. That's what it looks like when you're a part of family there. We're not spiritual consumers when you're family. You're not spiritual consumers. So say, if you're family today, if you consider yourself family, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I will ask you to say this with me. Say, we are not spiritual consumers or something else. Say this with me. Say, we are spiritual contributors. That's what God's called us to be with your family. If your family with us today. So today we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture, John's eyewitness account of one of the last things that Jesus ever did. So if I were going to tell you today that you were going to have a meal with your closest friends and family, and it was going to be the last meal that you would ever have with them, I'm guessing that you would approach this meal differently than any other meal you ever had. I'm guessing you would give lots of thought and attention to what you would want to say, to the legacy you would want to leave in these people. That is the context for what we're about to read. This is the last meal that Jesus gets to have with his 12 disciples. So here we are in John chapter 13, verse 1. If you want to turn with me there to John chapter 13, I invite you to. John's eyewitness account of John's place here. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. So Jesus knows this. The other disciples, they're worried, they're concerned, but they don't know. Jesus knows this is the end. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loves them till the very end. So if you're a guest, what I want you to say, see. If you're a friend, what I want you to see. If you're a family, what I want you to see. That everything that I say from the stage is motivated out of love. Everything Jesus was about to do and everything he was about to say, everything he was about to demonstrate for his disciples was, had one motivation, and it was love. He knows it's urgent, and he knows what his motivation is. Now, it was time for supper. I love those five words. It was time for supper. Now, when you hear that, it's time for supper, you have an expectation, don't you? I have an expectation. I have an expectation that I'm going to come, sit at a table, I'm going to be served, I'm going to eat, I'm going to consume, it's going to be awesome, I'm going to be there to receive something. It was time for supper, and all the disciples approached it that way. I'm here to receive something. But just like Jesus always does, he flipped everything on its head. Here in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. The way John writes is fascinating. I want you to see this. Jesus had no confusion about his place here on this earth. There was no confusion about his place. He said he knew he had been given authority over everything. He knew it. See, humility is not lowering yourself, beating yourself up. Oh, I'm nothing. That's not what humility is. Humility is what Jesus represents for us. I know my place, and because I know my place, I'm going to do something that no one else expects. And that's this, here in the next verse. So, that word so is so important. He knew his place. He knew his authority. So... He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. I want you to see what's taking place here because the disciples are freaking out. Okay, I want you to imagine that you are at a black tie event. Maybe you've never been to a black tie event. I don't know, but pretend, okay? You're at a black tie event where everyone is in their finest, the men, there in tuxedos. The women, there are in ball, ballroom gowns. Everyone is dressed in their finest, and you're sitting at the head table with the person who is there to be honored. Okay, they're the most important person in the room. And at one point during the meal, they get up, take their suit coat off, and start scraping your plate. They start serving you. They put on an apron, and then they go, and they start taking out the trash. And they start wiping down tables. They even go and clean the toilets. Would that be bizarre? Because that's what Jesus does. He is the most important person in the room, but he takes off his robe, wraps a towel around himself. He takes the place of a servant. And then he begins to do something, something that doesn't make any sense in our culture, but I want to try to take you back into this culture. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. In the ancient world, everyone wore sandals. In the ancient world, you walked everywhere. Where? In the ancient world, it was dirt roads. So whenever you showed up to someone's house, your feet were filthy. And a common courtesy, when you walked in that door, the lowest member of that household, typically it was a slave, would greet you at the door, take off your sandals, take a basin of water and a pitcher and watch, wash your feet. It was the lowliest task you could possibly take on in fact as I've researched this if you were a slave if you were a Jewish slave in a Jewish household and they had a Gentile slave as well you got exempt from this task because that's how low it was the Gentile slave had to do it this was the worst of the worst and the lowest of the low performed this so the disciples walk in and they see the, they see the basin they see the pitcher, but there's no one there to serve them so what do they all do They walk right past it, and they go and sit down at the table. Because every single one of them says, I ain't about to lower myself and wash anybody's feet. That's beneath me. I ain't going to do it. So they all go down and sit at the table with filthy feet, which is something you did not do in this culture. And Jesus sees all this out. He's testing them. He watches and lets every single one pass by that picture. Every single one pass by, and he says, I've been trying to teach them about being a servant. They still don't get it. After three years of being with me, after three years of me teaching them that a real leader, that a real leader will lay down his life for those who he serves, I've taught them and taught them and taught them that they still don't get it. So I've talked enough. Now I'm going to show them. So Jesus, the most important person in the room, takes off his suit coat takes off the black tie, puts on a servant's apron, and he goes and he shows up to the first disciple with this water, and the disciples are so freaked out by this that they panic. Simon Peter says, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? And I love what Jesus says. You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. See, John was writing in the someday. John was writing this in the someday when all of a sudden it clicked. All of a sudden it came together. All of a sudden it made sense. In that moment, they're like, What in the world is he doing? Why is he humiliating himself like this? Jesus, get up. That's what the disciples were saying. Get up. Don't you wash my feet. I know who you are. You're the Son of God. You shouldn't be washing my feet. In fact, that's what Simon said. Simon says, You'll never wash my feet. Never. They didn't understand. Jesus said, you don't understand right now, but someday you will. If you're a parent of teenagers, this is the verse that I hang on to right now. I hope that someday you'll get this. You don't get it right now, but someday you will. Did you ever hear that from your father? Because I heard it a million times. Someday you'll understand. And it always irritated me. Well, I'm not at someday. I'm at right now. Someday when you have kids, you'll understand. My dad said that to me all the time. I hated it. But you know what? Manny was right. Guess what I say to my kids? Someday when you have kids, you'll understand. Someday. And so my hope, my hope and my heart as a pastor is that we as a congregation, we as family, would start to grasp the someday. We would start to grasp what Jesus modeled for us and that we would begin to do it ourselves. See, Peter didn't get it. In fact, he yells at Jesus, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus finally talks him into it. He washes everybody's feet and then he goes back to the table. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? And clearly they did not. Clearly, they did not get it. So Jesus says, I've showed you, but now I'm going to teach. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. Again, I want you to see, there was no confusion. Jesus knew his place, and it was above everything. Because he knew his place of authority, he lowered himself to serve. In fact, Jesus said that. He said, I come as the Messiah not to be served, but to serve. And that is the greatest, it's it's crazy in our world, but that is the greatest exercise of power that you could ever have, and that would be to lower yourself to serve someone else. Jesus modeled it for us. The most powerful person, not in the room, on the planet, and he lowers himself to do the most demeaning thing possible. He says, you call me teaching, the Lord, you're right, because that's what I am. This is not Jesus bragging, this is Jesus recognizing who he is. Look what he says left. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've modeled serving for you. Now you begin to serve each other. You begin to serve each other. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And I know I've talked about this before, but the crazy thing is about us as Christians, Jesus says do, and instead of doing, we memorize the verse. We commit it to memory. And Jesus is trying to correct that mentality. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. He says, if we say I'm too important to serve, we're saying that we're greater than Jesus. He says, no, you're not catching this. And then look what he says next. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for Knowing them? No. He, the blessing isn't in the knowing. The blessing is in the doing. So that's what I want. I, again, I want to tell you right up front, I'm so glad that you decided to come today and sit there so I could talk to you. But Jesus says the knowledge is not where the blessing comes. I don't know that anybody, anybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ would be shocked to hear this story. Yes, Jesus came to serve, but are we following his example? The blessing is not in the knowing. The blessing is in the doing. Oh, trust me, there's lots of things I know. (laughs) But until I do them, I'm not gonna get the blessing, am I? There's lots of things I know about health. There's lots of things I know about diet. There's lots of things I know about exercise. There's lots of things I know, but there's no blessing in the knowing. The only blessing is in the doing. And so that's what Jesus very clearly challenges his disciples. He says, We're not blessed by knowledge. You're blessed by action. So as grateful as I am that you are here today, please, I'm trying to help us all understand until we put what we've heard into action, we don't receive the blessing. We don't. The blessing is in the action. We're not blessed for the knowledge. We're blessed for the action because this is what a watching world calls out all the time. I know what Christians are supposed to be like, and you're not lining up to it. I know what you're supposed to do, but you're not doing it. The watching world calls out Christians on this all the time. We're not blessed for the knowledge. We're blessed for the action. And so I challenge you today that Jesus is challenging us not to be a spiritual consumer because every one of the disciples, they pulled up to the table, and they said, let's eat. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, gimme. I'm here to get, 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 get. And Jesus said, no, I'm challenging you, come and give your life away. Give it away. Because when you spend your life as a consumer, you become a critic. Consumers become critics. Contributors have a different voice. Contributors speak differently. They're different than a consumer. And God's called us as family not to be consumers, but to be contributors. We are not spiritual consumers. So if you're with, if you're family today, say this with me, say we. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll see you guys later. We. <laughs> you're like, just get to the point. Can we, I gotta, I gotta wrap this up. Say this with me, say we are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. That's what God has called us to. So, again, I just want to challenge you. If you're a guest with us today, welcome. Welcome. We are here as family to serve you. We're here to serve you. So you come and you consume. And you consume and you consume. And my hope is that one day that message will go down so deep in your heart you'll embrace it and you'll say, all right, what can I give back? That's my hope, and that's my prayer, because Jesus wraps up this whole conversation in John chapter 13 with one of the most shocking statements in Scripture. He said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. There was lots of commandments in the the Old Covenant. There were lots of commandments that the disciples were very, very familiar with. In fact, there were 613 laws that these Jews had to follow. I love Jesus because he simplifies everything. If I got to choose between following 613 and following one, I'm going to choose the one every time. Because I like things simple. And Jesus simplifies it all. He said, I'm going to boil this whole thing down into one. Jesus didn't use the word commandment very often. But he says, I give you a commandment. Not commandments. Commandment. And it's simple. It's three words. Love each other. Jesus made it as simple as it could be. (laughs) But how many of you know these are the hardest three words in the world to walk out? Lots of times it's hard to love someone else. Now, Jesus takes it a step further, though. He doesn't say just love each other. He says, as I have loved you, you should love each other. How did Jesus love? Jesus loved Judas, the man who he knew would betray him. Jesus loved Peter, the guy who was always sticking his foot in his mouth. Jesus loved every single one of these disciples who were quite often very unlovable. He said, I'm going to challenge you to love each other, but not not as the world loves, because the world loves. Anyone can love, but how do we love? I love you, you love me back, right? As soon as you stop loving me back, I'm out. I feel that rise up in me all the time. I feel it rise up on me. All right, you stop loving me? Fine, I'm done loving you. Now, I admit, I'm, I'm sure I'm the only one in the room that struggles with that. But I, have you felt that? Are you done loving me? Cool. I'm out. I'm good. No, Jesus continued to love when he wasn't receiving the love back. He continued to love. He said, and then Jesus, he goes further, like Jesus always does, Love each other. He simplifies the whole thing. So if you're here today, this is what I want you to see family, it's our job to love friends. It's our job to love the guests. It's our job because this is what Jesus said. He said, We're not spiritual consumers, we're spiritual contributors. And then he takes it deeper. He says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Jesus said, There's one proof that you're my follower. He said, It's not how you dress. It's not the kind of music you listen to. It's not how many scripture verses you can quote. It's not how many bumper stickers are on your car. It's not how loud and proud your Christian t-shirts are. He said it's one thing. It's four four letters. What is it? What is it? Love. He said there's only one proof that you've truly following me, you'll love. You will love. That's your proof. That's the proof. And who will approve too? The watching world. Man, I, I don't understand that group of people. <laughs> I don't understand them, but I'm sure I'm glad they're here in this community. You know, I don't want to be a Christian, but I sure want my kids to marry one. Because they love. They love. They love each other. I'm kind of jealous. I kind of wish I was a part of that. That's what we want to model for a watching world. The way that we love One another, and I'll again. I'll be very transparent with you. The only way I can love unlovable people is because I've experienced God loving me when I was unlovable. That's it. It's not because I'm so great. I go, okay, I'm gonna do it. I say, God, you you gotta fill me up with love again because I'm I'm dried out, I'm empty. So He said, This is how you'll prove it. Your love will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. The blessing is not in the knowledge. The blessing is in the action. So, family, will we prove to a watching world how much we love each other? Will we serve? Because, again, this is what I want you to see. If you're a guest, man, I'm so glad that you're here. Our job as family is to serve you. It's to serve you, okay? Just like if you were a guest in my house. If you were a guest in my house, how awkward would it be if I asked you to take out the trash? Wouldn't that be weird? You're a guest in my house. How awkward would it be? It's like you go into the bathroom. You, you, I, before you go in there, I hand you a toilet brush. Okay, you brush up that toilet bowl while you're in there? I'm just guessing you wouldn't be back in my house. Right? No, that's for family. Family does that. But here's again where I want you to be really transparent. If, you've got, if you have teenagers in your house like I do, you know what most of our fights are about? Because my kids want to consume and they don't want to contribute. Give me free Wi-Fi. Give me all the food that I want. Okay, clean my clothes, fold them and put them away while you're at it. Okay, maybe this is just me. Maybe it's just confession time for Brad. Maybe you don't have this in your house. But my wife... We'll wash the clothes, dry the clothes, fold the clothes, put them in their room, and they act like it's the end of the world because they got to put them in a drawer. Oh, but you're such a cruel taskmaster. I got to put them away. Oh, my life is so hard. Dad, did you know the Wi Fi's not working either? Oh, my life is so hard. What is this? This is when family thinks that they're a guest. That's when the conflicts happen in my house. <laughs> Dad gets a little upset. No, I need you to contribute, your family, your family. So I know you think it's the end of the world that I asked you to take out the trash, but it's really not. I need you to contribute, because that's what family does. We contribute, we contribute, why? So that we can bless more guests. So when guests come in, they're like, my goodness, I felt loved in that place. I felt accepted. See, our mission is simple. It's to share the hope of Jesus with more people in more places. Do You know the the only way we're gonna do that? It's because more people become family and they say, how can I serve? How can I serve? Because if the serving is only up to me, I can only serve so many people. If the serving is only up to our paid staff, we're only gonna be able to serve so many people. But if every family member says, oh, what, what can I do? What can I do? Then we're going to be able to share hope with more people in more places. Because everyone said, Yeah, I'm family. What what can I do? What can I do? That is the vision for us here at Community Hope. So, again, I know this is a tough one. If you're family, if you're a guest, you'd be like, Whew, that one was tough. If your family say this one, they say, The church does not exist for us. I did not hear a lot of amens there. Because family, we've gotten this wrong. We thought the church existed for us. Again, that's when things go all wrong, when family thinks, no, you're here to serve me. You're here to do what I want you to do. That's, what happened. that's why churches fight, because they forget their place. Jesus wanted to remind the disciples, he said, no, if you're family, you serve. The church does not exist for us. But here's the exciting part. My goal, again, is not to heap guilt, shame, or blame on you. It's to give you a vision of what the church can be. And here's what I want you to see. Our love for one another that proves to a watching world. The more we love each other, the more attractive following Jesus becomes. The church does not exist for us. Jesus said it right here, love one another, and that's going to prove to a watching world that you're my disciples. The church does not exist for us. Family, this is what I want you to see. Say this with me. Say, we are the church, and we exist for the world. We are the church, and we exist for the world. The reason why you're a part of family is because some family members caught a hold of that and they cared enough to invite you to a church service. They cared enough to love you at their workplace. They cared enough to serve you in some way to invite you to become family. Aren't you glad that they did? Aren't you so glad that someone cared enough about you when you weren't family to say, oh, come on in. The door's always open. There's always another place at our table. Come on in. We want to treat you like family. Family. We, family, we're the church, and we exist for the world. This isn't a country club. It's not. We pay your dues so that you can be served. No, you sign on the dotted line and say, oh, let me give my life away so more people can experience what I've experienced. I want to give my life away so more people can experience what it feels like to be forgiven, what it feels like to be free, to what it feels like to be clean of my sins. That's what I've experienced. I want more people. Because how selfish would it be to experience that with God and not want to give it away? I decided as a young man, I want to give this away to whoever I can. I want to give it away. We are the church and we exist for the world. So our goal is to turn guests into family. Our goal is to share the hope of Jesus with more people and more places. How we do that is by transitioning from being a consumer to being a contributor. We the church does not exist for us. We are the church, and we exist for the world. I want to give you a cause that's worth giving your life for, and that is simply this. We're really, really simple around here. We want to share the hope with more people in more places. That's our goal. That's our vision, and that's our dream. And the reason why I share this with you is that Community Hope has been doing that since day one. They've been doing that since day one. And when I came to this church, I could tell it was a healthy church heading in a healthy direction. And I said, I want to be a part of that. And me as your leader, I said, how can we go further, faster? How can we reach more people? How can we do more? Because we, every one of us has a story that is celebrated. And so if you're family, it's because you've experienced the hope of Jesus. And we want to share that with as many people possible in this world. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up And I'm going to challenge you, if you're family, what is God giving you that you could give away? What is God giving you that you could give away? Because we have people that we are sending out all over the world who have captured this. We have a a young couple that we support. They've just been married a few years. They just had a little baby, and they said, Jesus, we'll go wherever you want us to go. They're going to go live in Botswana, Africa. Why? Because they said, God, I want to give my life away. I want to give my life away. And so we as a church have said, what can we do to send more people out? What can we do to send more people out? How can we support them? Because I'm here to be a part of something that's bigger and greater than myself. Do you realize Community Hope right here in little old Montezuma, Iowa is touching the world? Apparently, you didn't know that, because I'm going to tell you again. Community hope is touching the world. Touching the world. And just this week, I've I've reached out to every single missionary that we support. Do you realize we've sent out 55 different missionaries all around the world who we're supporting monthly. I've reached out to every single one of them, I said, is there anything that you need? Some of them have gotten back to me and said, yeah, this is what we need. And I said, all right, church, how can we meet their needs?" How can we give it away? And some of the stories that I've heard from missionaries, they're not used to hearing that. They're not used to hearing, how can we bless you? What can we give you? And one of and these missionaries are out are doing powerful things. I've shared some of their stories with you, but I want to share a couple more. This was a need that we had the opportunity to meet. Rich and Sandy Farley, and they've given their life away to Bolivia. See, the crazy thing is, in Bolivia, when someone gets arrested, their children have nowhere to go. Their children go with them to prison. Rich and Sandy Farthing came into Bolivia years and years ago. They said, we've got to do something about that. They started taking these young children, in, and they developed an orphanage just to take care of these children. Why? Because they wanted to give their life away. They've been doing this for years. This is, we're going to get to hear their story in January. They're going to be here with us. But I reached out to them. I said, what do you need? He said, we'd love to give these kids Christmas presents. I said, how much would it cost? He said, $2,000. I said, it's done. We're going to take care of it. Another missionary I talked to was Bob and Barbara Van White. They're missionaries in Botswana, Africa. I said, what do you need? He said, well, in Africa, the electricity goes out a lot. We have a backup generator. It just went kaput. I said, how much does it cost? He told me. I said, we're going to take care of it. Do you know why I, as a pastor, am able to reach out to a missionary and say, we're going to take care of it? Because of a group of people that sit here in this room and say, here, I'm here to give something back. I'm here to give. I'm here to give. I'm not here to take. I'm here to give. And so every time when I talk to a missionary, I I love talking to them because I say, what what, what else can we do? And so here's the last project that I'm going to talk about because we're not taking up an offering today. I always want to let our guests know that, okay? So I'm not twisting your arm for more money, okay? Next week we will be. Next week we're going to be receiving an offering because we believe there's more people in more places that need to be rescued. And one of the things specifically we're going to do is right here. There's an organization called Project Rescue in Europe It goes into the brothels, rescues young girls out of sex trafficking, out of sexual slavery. They need a vehicle. And I said, what can we do to buy that for you? Because more people, more people have said, God, what can I do to give my life away? And I believe the more Christians in America who capture this vision, God has saved me. He's given me something that I can give away. The more people that capture that vision and that dream, the more this world is going to be changed. The more Montezuma is going to be changed, the more Powersheek County is going to be changed, the more the world is going to be changed. Because you can make a difference. And we can do infinitely more together than we could ever do apart. So I'm going to ask you, would you would you stand to your feet? And so you, you see these in the seat back in front of you. Next week. We're going to be taking up one offering to say, what can we do together to change the world? So I want you to take this with you. I want you to consider, I want to ask God, God, what do you want me to give? And even this week, I want you to be looking with different eyes, looking at your coworkers, looking at your family, asking God, God, how can I serve? What can I give away in this moment? Because as a culture, we're trained to constantly look to what we can get. Constantly look, well, how can I get Get, get. When Jesus said, told us the opposite, give your life away. Would you bow your heads? I just want to pray with you. Today, Jesus offers you a gift. And if you're here today and you're one of those guests that I kept referring to, you've never received Jesus' gift of eternal life, you've never received his gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Right now, you're not sure. You're not sure if you died today, if you would go to heaven. I want you to extend you the opportunity to receive that gift of grace today. If you've never crossed that line of faith, or maybe you did one time and you feel like you've walked away. If you're here today and you say, I want to receive God's gift of grace for me, would you put your hands out, and open hands out in front of you like you're receiving a gift? Because I just want to pray for you. Would you just right now in your own way, would you just begin to talk to God? say God I receive your gift of grace I receive your gift of mercy I thank you God that when you died on the cross it was for the forgiveness of my sins I receive your gift I make you Lord of my life and for those of you who are here today you have received Christ as your Savior but You feel like you've been challenged today by this word. And if you're saying, God, I want to give my life away. Would you show me some some way, some tangible way that I can do that? If that's you and you're responding to the message today, would you put your open hands out in front of you? You say, God, you've entrusted me with so much. And I want to give my life back to you. If that's you right now, would you do that? Would you put your open hands out in front of you? God, I thank you for people who are willing to give. God, you've blessed us with so much. And right now in this moment, we say, God... Whatever I have to give back to you, I give it to you. In the name of Jesus. We're going to sing one final song together. And would you just let what God's been speaking to you through these, these last few moments, would you just let that go from here down into here? And if there's something God's spurn on your heart to take action on, would you, would you do that? Would you just say, God, I will. I'm going to take action on that. Let's worship God together. If you were impacted by this sermon or if you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Community Hope on Facebook and Instagram or at our website, communityhope.org. Thanks for listening and we hope to see you next week.